Welcome to the 25th episode of this podcast. I actually can't even believe it. And if you've listened to all 25, I'm sure you deserve some kind of a medal. So I've thought for a long time that men have some pretty strange views when it comes to women. But last week, I came face to face with how I still hold on to some of those same views. It came to light for me when I was preparing the last podcast around the gender of God, and at the same time, I was preparing a sermon that I was going to preach that Sunday that included the story in John chapter 8 where men were trying to trick Jesus, and they brought a woman to him that they said was caught in the act of adultery. As I was preparing, I realized that I have always seen the woman as guilty as charged. But then I thought, if these men's agenda was to trick Jesus, why do I buy into their caught-in-the-act-of-adultery label? What if that's not quite the truth? What if the woman was trafficked into prostitution and she had no choice? Or what if she had some starving children at home and as much as she hated it, the only thing she could think to do to feed her family was to sell her body? What if she actually is the victim in this story? I realize that when I read a story like this, I still have a filter that is a very male-dominated patriarchal understanding of the Bible. And with that filter, I rarely see the woman as the victim. How often we hear of a woman that is attacked, and we wonder what she was wearing that might have encouraged the man, or we wonder if she led him on in some way. We automatically see the woman as guilty as charged. I know of newly married Christian women that were warned not to let themselves go, quote-unquote, because they were told you can't expect your husband to remain faithful if you let yourselves go. Could it be that these views, these filters, and attitudes actually contribute to gender-based violence and domestic abuse in our world? Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. There's been much debate for many years in Christian circles around the roles of men and women in marriage and in the world. As expected, we've come up with some big theological words that you don't find in the Bible to describe these views. They are complementarianism and egalitarianism. And of course, like everything else, there are as many varieties and nuances of these two views as there are people that use them. Complementarianism is quick to agree that God made both men and women in his image. But they would say that women have different roles to men in the family and in the world. These roles complement one another, which obviously is where the word comes from. The definition of these roles can vary quite radically between people that consider themselves complementarian. 
on one extreme would be people that believe a woman's highest calling is to be a mother and her role is to have children and care for the home, which basically means she should be a stay-at-home mom. Others in the complementarian camp have no problem with women having a job and a career as long as home takes priority, which, of course, means she has to handle two full-time jobs. But what every complementarian agrees on is headship. They would say that the man's role is to be the head. In the family, that means he's the head of the home. He's in charge. He calls the shots. The woman's role is to support and submit to her husband. When it comes to the church, leaders must be male. A woman can certainly have a role in church, but they can't be the pastor, and they can't teach when there are men in the room. Complementarians like to refer to their view as the biblical view. They cite passages like 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, 1 Corinthians 11, 3, or Ephesians 5 to defend their positions of headship both in the home and in the church. Eglatarianism, on the other hand, sees male and female as equal. There are no prescribed roles and there's no such thing as headship. In the home, Eglatarians see leadership as a joint venture, with each contributing his or her gifts and talents to the job of leadership. In the church, women are welcome to hold leadership positions, including senior pastor, and they're welcome to teach and to preach. Eglatarians also see their view as biblical. They can carefully take each of the texts that I cited earlier and make compelling arguments as to why you shouldn't interpret them in the traditional evangelical way. Now, those are very general and brief descriptions, but I hope they're accurate of the two views. Although, as I said earlier, there are many different variants to the two positions. There are people, of course, on the extreme side of each of these, and they're really easy to identify. But then there are those in the middle who are sometimes so close, it's very hard to distinguish one from the other. I grew up in a home where issues like this were never discussed, but they were never a problem. My parents had very traditional roles. My father earned the money. He traveled a lot. My mom stayed home and took care of the children and the house. I doubt if my dad ever changed a dirty diaper. He did cook on occasion, although I suspect it was because he loved to fry everything in butter, and I'm not sure that my mom approved of that. But never once did I get the impression that my mother was unhappy in her role, and never once did I see my father take advantage of his supposedly superior position. It just wasn't a thing in our home. When I was in high school, I attended a conference by Bill Gothard, which was called the Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts. I don't remember much of what was taught, but what I do remember very clearly was him talking about the chain of command. Yes, those were the words that he used back in the 70s. The chain of command started with God on top and below God was man and below man was woman, and below women were the children. 
This was stated very emphatically, and as I remember it, this authority structure was the foundation of everything else that he taught. I remember that I wasn't that comfortable with this theology even back then, but who was I to argue with the Bible, right? It's interesting to note that Bill Gothard was forced to resign from his organization in 2014 after 34 women accused him of sexual harassment. There were no criminal charges ever brought, but his board found that he was guilty of inappropriate behavior towards these women, and he was dismissed from the organization that bore his name. He's continued to claim his innocence on these matters. I think I have always been an egalitarian, even when I didn't know what that was. Sheila and I were married in 1979 in the chain of command era and long before feminism was really a thing. But I've never seen myself as, quote unquote, the head of the home or Sheila as needing to be submissive. Since the day we are married, we have always been a team. We've not been limited to traditional roles in marriage. There was a period early in our marriage where Sheila had a better job than I did, so I stayed home with the baby while she went to work. She's always handled the money, paid the bills, and helped us save. Why? Because she is much better at that than I am. One of the arguments against the way Sheila and I have always operated is that there has to be a leader, so they say. What happens when you come to an impasse on a decision? Somebody has to make the final call, right? Later this month, Sheila and I will celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. It has never come to an impasse. There have been times we've disagreed, and it's taken a heck of a lot of work to work through it, but we've always managed to do that. At times, one of us has given in because we know the other is probably better suited to make that particular decision. But more often than not, we come to a decision that looks different than either one of us would have done on our own. A decision that is actually better than either one of us would have made on our own. I know for a fact that in those times, if I had put my foot down and said, I am the head of the home, I will make the decision, we would have suffered because of it. Team leadership is much stronger than solo leadership. I also think that complementarianism denies the beauty of the imagery of two becoming one in marriage. It's imagery that I have always loved. Two lives actually become one. Two stories become one story. Two journeys become one journey. But complementarianism keeps two, two. Two different roles, two different stories, two different people. Oneness in marriage includes leadership. My wife and I are one and we lead as one. I find the same thing to be true when it comes to the workplace. 
Of course, the bulk of my work experience is in the church, which will be our topic in the next episode. But I've been involved in a couple of leadership teams that were completely male, and then a woman joined the team. In every situation, the woman brought a leadership perspective that not one man in the room saw. I have always believed in diversity. I think a meeting where everybody thinks the same, believes the same, sees the world the same is a weak team. The more diverse we are, the more inclusive our decisions are. We are limiting our diversity by having all male leadership teams. And let me say this as emphatically as I can because I so strongly to believe it to be true. All male leadership teams are weak. I'm sure some of you are thinking, what about what the Bible says? We don't have time in this episode to go to every biblical passage and break them down to prove a point. Besides, that would be incredibly boring, and I know that you're able to do that research on your own. The Google machine has plenty of exegetical breakdown from both sides of this debate. Plus, I don't find proof texting from either point of view as helpful. Like many things in the Bible, it seems to contradict itself on issues like this. And while I find the debate very interesting, I don't always see it as very helpful. The Bible says does not actually solve the debate as easily as we would like it to. I think we must understand that the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments, were written by men that only understood patriarchy. Both Judaism and Greco-Roman culture of the New Testament were rooted in patriarchy. So without question, their writings would be deeply influenced by the culture that they lived in. We all know that. And so there are certain things in the New Testament we disregard. We say that's not applicable to our culture. We kind of pick and choose, as it were. For example, we don't ask women to cover their heads in church. We don't see it as shameful for a woman to have short hair. We don't require a woman to be silent in church. We allow them to lead worship, to teach Sunday school, to read scripture, to give testimonies. In Titus 2, it tells women to submit to their husbands and slaves to submit to their masters in the same section. We're happy to disregard the slave part, but we like to keep the husband and wife bit. We all disregard parts of the New Testament. The only debate is which parts will we disregard. So please don't try to take some kind of moral high ground here saying you just do what the Bible says because you probably don't. I know I'm going to get in trouble when I say this, but I have to reject the Apostle Paul's argument that God created man in his image and then created woman from man. He says man reflects God's glory, but woman reflects man's glory. You see it in 1 Corinthians 11. That is not at all what I see when I read the creation poems in Genesis 1 and 2. And plus, Paul completely contradicts himself when he makes the statement in Galatians that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave or free. (music) 
I reject complementarianism because at the end of the day, it promotes hierarchy. And if you've listened to many of my podcasts, you know I am not at all a fan of any kind of hierarchy. The word complementarianism sounds so much better than the chain of command, but in the end, that's what it is. It's about who is actually in charge. It's about authority and power, and the men have all the authority and power. Power and authority are dangerous. They beg to be misused. When I have power that I believe is intrinsic in who I am, that is when it's the most easily misused. I believe I have the right to certain things just because I'm, and then fill in the blank, because I'm male, or because I'm white, or because I'm rich, or or whatever. I can become demanding because it's my right. I can become abusive because I have certain rights to certain things because I'm male. My wife must admit, and if she doesn't, I have the God-given right to put her in her place. Now, please don't get me wrong. I don't think that all complementarians abuse their wives. Most of them don't. But I think this view has aided in the overall worldview of Christian nations like South Africa and America that men are superior to women. I think as Christians... We need to reevaluate our view of women and men. What if we stop seeing women as having a subservient role to men? What if we stop seeing men as being superior and thus in charge? What if we stop seeing women as weak and emotional and unable to make leadership decisions? What if we stop seeing male dominance as our God-given right? Next week, I'm going to interview a friend of mine to talk specifically about the role of women in the church. Her name is Mickey O'Donnell. She holds a master's in philosophy as well as a master's in religious education. She has been in ministry for 42 years and has served in every capacity you can imagine in church world. Mickey is going to share her story of being a female leader in a male-dominated church world, and I can't wait to share that with you. For now, I'm going to let you go, but not without saying thanks for joining us today. Like always, I so appreciate any help you can give in getting the word out, and also like share some of my social media posts when I talk about the podcast. That's really helpful. Before I sign off, I want to leave you with this wonderful quote by the great Mother Teresa. Peace begins with a smile. Have a great week. Shalom. Shalom.